As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast. On today's show, Charles and I break down the Baker Mayfield Richard Sherman handshake fiasco. Gotten a little crazy there. We're gonna we're gonna dissect that a little bit. And then we're going to go all the way in on the Washington Redskins, a disaster of a franchise. Uh, Redskins fans, doesn't reflect poorly on you, but you know what's going on. Charles and I are going to dive into why Redskins are in such bad shape and whether there's hope about whether they can climb out of that hill. So without further ado, here we go. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Welcome to the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast. I'm Yahoo senior NFL writer Therese Paler here. My main man and fellow senior NFL writer, Charles Robinson. And Charles, in the Baker Mayfield, Richard Sherman handshake fiasco, are you on Team Bake or Team Sherm? Where you come out? Oh, man, I was so in high school like basketball, football. I was always the kid where you know how at the end of the game, they'd be like, okay, everybody go shake hands. I was always the, eh, good game, good game. Uh, uh. Like, <laughs> oh, you were the poor sport? Was, yeah. The, yeah, I was the dick. Yeah. I was like the total yeah. poor sport. Like I never wanted to shake the hands with, with anybody. The guy with the limp hands. Yeah, the limp hands. Line. Yeah, yeah, the limp hands. <laughs> and then occasionally you'd see like somebody who got you during the game and you'd make oh, sure yeah. you, you'd miss that person completely. <laughs> and maybe you'd drop an F-bomb like in the middle of the line. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the kid that like, you know, we had the kid who was like, you know, the bad kid from like the, the wrong side of the tracks. He'd be the kid behind me who I just hear him the whole, the whole line going, you, you, you. That kid. He would actually have, the, the funny thing about that guy is that he would actually like, have more with the he would give you a little bit more on the handshake than like you would theoretically like the the I don't give a guy just has the <laughs> right. hand but the right. you guy has <laughs> right. like the he has a little bit more to it it's pretty good yeah, <laughs> yeah I, don't, I don't know man like this whole thing is crazy right like Richard Sherman um after the 49ers win over the Cleveland Browns on Monday Night Football, very convincing win. Kudos of 49ers who improved to 4-0. After this game, Richard Sherman takes this as an opportunity to kind of lecture Bay- Baker Mayfield, says that when you don't shake hands with opposing teams' players, you motivate them, and that was something that he'll need to learn. Obviously, Richard Sherman used it as motivation. He had a hell of an interception early in the game, and it, it set off this whole kind of firestorm about Baker Mayfield's personality but one thing about today's day and age is that there's video of everything. Then you started seeing today videos come out of these two going through the pregame coin toss. And there was a moment where it looks like they were doing something that looked like slapping hands. Anyway, people have analyzed this tape like this is a Bruder film. And Charles, <laughs> like, I mean, they have. Like, they're like, oh, did Baker do it? Did. Meanwhile, we're more worried about whether what kind of sport Baker is compared to the Browns getting their asses handed to him right. on Monday night. Right. Like, what, not to go like Jack Nicholson on you, but can like can somebody tell me what kind of world we live in? We're more <laughs> worried about the pre-game t- coin toss than the ass kicking the 49ers <laughs> laid on these guys. Right. I mean, we kind of buried the lead on this one. You know, the fact that the Browns, 
there's a whole lot to dissect there that has nothing to do with who was shaking whose hands, whether it was a who hand cares? slap or a handshake. They I, well, got look, their I, asses handed to them. Okay, but I do care, but here is why. I, I have a, a thought process here. I think Richard Sherman is putting to words a sense of frustration that I am betting you some veteran players have about Baker Mayfield, about the idea. You know how it is when when we see young guys come in and they're cocky and they're mm-hmm. like, yo, I'm not I'm not apologizing for who I am. I'm going to come out. We're going to take the mm-hmm. league over. Here's what mm-hmm. we're going to do. Not not to bring up. I'm not comparing Baker Mayfield to Johnny Manziel, but mm-hmm. I do remember when Johnny Manziel made the wreck the league comment. And there were there were like veteran players who were clowning the shit out of him when his career was falling apart because they're like, yeah, you really wrecked the league. Way to go, Johnny. And I think there's this aspect of of players being upset that some people in the offseason kind of crown them like, hey, this is now the class of the AFC North. You know, maybe the division runs through Cleveland. And then, you know, Baker Mayfield just having this sense of, you know, look, he's he's cocky. He's not backing down from anybody. That's how he carries himself. He's going to be confident where, you know, Richard Sherman, longtime player, plenty of accolades. He's got, you know, a Super Bowl ring, all these things considered a leader in the NFL. And he looks at these guys and says, you know what? You got to earn it. So when you come in here and you play us today, you're either going to earn it or we're going to whoop your ass. And they they whooped their ass. And Richard Sherman was quick to say, hey, guess what? You know what? You don't just give things to guys. They got to earn it. And now we have earned a 4-0 start. Let's talk about the 49ers coming into this game instead of talking about the Cleveland Browns. And Richard Sherman is a master of self-motivation. Right. Let's start there. He totally gets it. So that's a part of this equation. But I think you have a point. And I think you're right. I think he's got a point. We've said this on the podcast many times already. We both like Baker. We think that his gusto is interesting. And the last thing I hope would happen as a result of this is that he tones it down too much because I think he's interesting and he's good for the league. But this is a league where it's the ultimate performance league. Yep. As long as you perform, a lot of be excused. But the moment you stop performing, everything becomes a problem. Everything becomes a problem. At the end of the day, the Browns offense looks bad right now. They still got too much pressure on the quarterback, whether he's holding the ball too long or the blocking up front's not getting the job done. This is the second straight week that Odell Beckham Jr. has only caught two passes. This offense still has way too much talent to be performing like this. And I think... One interesting byproduct of all the talking the Browns have done and all the hype they got entering this season is that every week the teams that play them are ready to f- roll. Yeah. They're ready to roll. Yep. And it, guess what, Charles? It wasn't just Richard Sherman who was ready to roll. You know who else was ready to roll? Nick Bosa. DeForest Nick, Buckner. Yeah. Nick Bosa's performance was outstanding. He was a complete wrecking ball. They couldn't block him. And he also broke out one of the best celebrations of the 2019 (laughs) season with the flag wave that Baker Mayfield brought out at Ohio State a couple years ago. And it was so good that I got to tell you, someone posted the video of Bosa's mock flag waving celebration, 
and Baker actually doing that on Bosa's home turf two years ago. And, like, let me tell you, Bosa watched that many times because he absolutely nailed the timing of it and all of it, including the enthusiasm. (laughs) I thought it was great. I thought it was a fun game to watch because of this stuff. But, hey, listen, Cleveland's learning. If you're going to talk, you better be ready to back it up in this league. Yeah, you and you know, you know you're pissed when someone doing something or saying something to you sticks with you for like two years. Yes. For like you when you store it away in your pocket for two years and you are just waiting. You are just waiting for your opportunity for that flag plant. You it's and, and I'm for I'm here for it. I'm with you. I like I like the way that this Baker Mayfield, yeah, I, I love it. I love the way Baker Mayfield approaches it because to me, I don't want this to be like the NBA. I don't want it oh, to be no. everybody's friends. Mm-mm. I don't no. want it to be everybody hangs out afterward. I want guys to have a general distaste for each other competitively. They want to mm-hmm. beat each other. To me, that is that is what is the essence of the NFL that sets it apart from everyone else the general distaste that guys can have and the true hard feelings that guys can carry with them for months, years, even decades. And, you know, so to me, that's great. And one thing I would say, and I think you hit on the the Browns issues, you know, Baker Mayfield, the 26 turnovers and 18 starts is horrific. We've talked about that on this podcast before about all the turnovers and the ball security issues. I think First and foremost, you start with the offensive line and figuring out what all the problems are there. And then you work on Baker's ball security and trying to cut down on the turnovers. Like straight up, that's the first square I would get to. Mm -hmm. One thing I would say to people who are listening, don't buy the NFL players. Don't read what guys say about each other. Don't buy that. Yes, absolutely. They know everything. They know everything you say, every piece of you talk. They... And if you don't believe it, go look at what happened between the Tennessee Titans and Buffalo Bills and, Mm -hmm. you know, Taylor Lewan and Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips. And you got these guys who are going back and forth on Twitter. And man, the second Taylor Lewan took a little, you know, took a little shot back at the Buffalo Bills. Man, if they did not immediately come out of the woodwork about, hey, you got suspended for juicing. Like instantaneously, they went for the worst possible ownage. Like, they couldn't wait. They couldn't wait. And so fans have to understand this. They give us these sound bites where a lot of guys say, oh, I don't pay attention. That's mm-hmm. a lie. It's a lie. They That's all pay attention. Lie. And I like like it, though. Like the Lawan Lawson thing, you tweeted out that thread a few days ago. Yeah. It was great. Like, it was great. They were taking personal shots at each other. Uh, Lawan knocked Lawson's fitness and production. <laughs> Lawson said, you better keep that same energy next time I see you. That was not a joke. Like, those guys clearly do not like each other. Terry and Kim Pagula, who own the Bills, their daughter got involved, yeah. like, Further down in the thread and talking the trash. I'm like now the kid of the Bills is getting involved in this. This is amazing. It. It's uh I am this is I'm good. hyped. Yeah, I'm hyped. It makes me happy. Hey, week six, I, baby. Let's go. I'm here for the NFL being like 1994 NBA. Like, I'm ready for a team to be the 94 Knicks and just try to bully people. I'm ready for it. I'm here for this. Yeah. I love, like, these little personal rivalries. And, you know, I hope we get to see Browns 49ers down the road. And I hope, you know, we get to see Titans Bills down the road. Like, that's, this is great. Um, that's one thing that th- these little rivalries make the game more fun and they give us more talking points 
in addition to just the play on the field, and I, I don't want to short the 49ers, Charles, because right. they're a 4-0 team that we haven't given a lot of uh, time to. But this is a football team that I've got to tell you, just some quick observations from watching that game. Kyle Shanahan's offense, like when he has a quarterback, a lot of fun to watch. Um, the way he uses his two running backs, right. Matt Breida, Tevin Coleman, both those guys look great right now, by the way. Yeah. A lot of fun. There, uh, there were a lot of like play calls where it's like, oh, wow, Kyle's, in, Kyle's feeling himself today. He got it today. And also, there's a lot going on with that team. But I think the most important thing that they were able to do this offseason is help revitalize that pass rush. Nick mm-hmm. Bosa is huge for them. D. Ford, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead. If you can win up front and generate pressure while getting good play from your back end and your second-level guys, Quan Alexander is another guy who flashed last night. Very good player. They spent a lot of money. Um, they got a chance to be pretty good and make some noise this season. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give uh, some credit here to to – not only Kyle Shanahan, the head coach, but also John Lynch, the general manager. I had a chance to go out there during their full Mm -hmm. squad mini camps um, in the summer. And I sat down one-on-one with with Lynch, and then I sat down one-on-one with Kyle. And what was interesting to me was, you know, I kind of confronted them both with this idea. You know, there had been these things that were coming out about there being frustration, about how the personnel looked and, you know, some of the draft picks that were made and all this stuff. And both of those guys, to a man, said, and and I felt honesty in the statement. They were like, that's bullshit. Like they both, they were like, that is absolutely BS. Mm-hmm. And they were mm-hmm. like, ba- basically both of them said the same thing. They said, look, if you want to criticize the roster, that's mm-hmm. fine. But mm-hmm. do it factually. Don't come up with, you know, the two of us fighting because we're not. We're spending time mm-hmm. with each other outside the facility. We're very mm-hmm. close. We're in tune. And I remember Lynch said to me, there was all these injuries in in full squad minicamps and and I said, man, I said, half your team's not out there. It's hard to really judge how good the team is. And Lynch said to me, as long as the whole team is there when the season starts, Lynch said to me, this roster is as good as it's been since we got here. And he said, you, and he said, I promise you, you will see the improvement from this, this crew. And we're seeing it. On the flip side of the coin, I want to make sure we talk about the Browns and like where they're at. They're two and three. They still have a lot of talent and, I had an opportunity to sit down with John Dorsey, the general manager, and Freddie Kitchens in August during my camp visit. And the prevailing sentiment I got from them, because obviously I went there trying to figure out how they thought all these personalities would work, especially with a subpar start, just in case. And you know what their message was? A lot of these guys, a lot of their big personalities are really, really talented. And yeah, they have big personalities, but you know what they were dependent on? How much they want to win, getting them mm-hmm. through. So this is going to be the ultimate test. This is a two and three football team right now that people are criticizing, that people are doubting, and that people, a lot of people, and this isn't us because we want to see Cleveland be good because they're yeah. interesting, yeah, but absolutely. there are a lot of people who cannot wait to rub a losing season or even an eight and eight season in Cleveland's face. So right now, we're going to see what these guys are made of. And we're also going to see if the confidence and faith that Freddie and John put in this team's outspoken, big personality leaders to lead when it matters, even if things go poorly, was misplaced. They, it's, the season's in their hands. 
I think it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. I think the one, for in particular, Freddie, because I think the first person, ultimately, if this does not work, say it goes bad, say it really goes sideways, mm-hmm. you're not blaming Baker, okay? Like he might, he might get some heat. You're not going to blame. Ob- uh, you're not going to blame Odell Beckham. He might get some heat. Some of the players might get some heat. John Dorsey might get some heat. You know who they're going to blame? And I can tell you this absolutely, there's no doubt in my mind, the number one guy in the firing line is going to be Freddie Kitchens because Freddie Kitchens' resume is the thinnest. And the first thing that people are going to do is they're going to go, well, geez, we won all these games with Greg as interim coach. Maybe Freddie really is just an OC you know, maybe maybe that was a mistake. Maybe you should have kept Greg Williams and, and Freddie um, as an OC. Freddie will be the guy who has to understand right now it's extremely vital for him to get this on, on the tracks because he will be the first person to be questioned, and I think he will be the first person to be threatened if anything were to come out mm-hmm. of a bad season. I agree. And while Cleveland's season, I wouldn't say it's necessarily on shaky ground, but they're approaching a tipping point. One team that is absolutely already in a complete (laughs) show state (laughs) is the Washington Redskins period point blank. (sighs) They're 33 to seven loss to the new England Patriots on Sunday. I wrote a column and I said, listen, they're going to fire Jay Gruden. And when they do that, don't fall for the okie doke and credit the Redskins fans. They know They know. They're like, great column. Thank you. Yeah, we know. And it's like, okay, good. Don't fall for the okie doke. This is on Dan Snyder, and this is on Bruce Allen. The next day, they fired Jay Gruden. They try to sell hope. Bruce Allen gets up there, has the nerve to say he thinks they have a good culture. Our cohort, Kimberly Martin, writes a column, flambang that comment. And you know what, Charles? You saw that, and you were like, you know, I'm writing a column, too. All three of us had to get it in on this football team. A franchise that used to be one of the best in pro sports, one of the proudest in the NFL, is now a joke. And you wrote about the reason why. And this I really enjoyed this column. It's not just about Dan Snyder. It's because he simply doesn't have the football IQ to build a winner. Explain. Right. Yeah. I think what was interesting was on the heels of everything happening, you know, I'm sitting in my office and I'm like, you know, and I know a couple of guys who know, you know, no Bruce Allen or no Dan Snyder or no Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder. Let me call these guys and just kind of mm-hmm. get a read on on where this is. And I had an executive who said to me, we had a lengthy conversation about, you know, everything that had kind of gone on, what Bruce Allen's place was. And he said to me, you know, and, and this is paraphrasing here. He said, look, Dan is not in tune to who the good guys are in the building unless he's told who the good guys are in the building. He needs someone to say, hey, this coach is really bright. He's ahead of the curve. He's this, he's that. And he made the point that there was this huge failure when in 2016, after the 2016 season, Sean McVay is all of a sudden popping up on these head coaching lists across the league. He's about to turn 31 years old. Yet he's been your offensive coordinator for three years. And this guy made the point to me that he said, look, a great owner who goes down, talks to the other coaches, who talks to the players, who talks to Mm -hmm. the people in personnel, would have been told, had Dan Snyder done this, would have been told, hey, guess what? We can't afford to lose Sean McVay. He is really effing good. 
this guy, and one of those guys, interestingly enough, who he could have talked to, is now his interim coach. Bill Callahan was yeah. one of the biggest backers of Sean McVay when Bill Callahan was Sean McVay's offensive line coach, when Sean mm-hmm. McVay was, was the OC. He didn't do that. And what happens? Despite, I think at the time, Jay Gruden was 21, 26, and 1, okay, over three years. He lets Sean McVay go out the door. Obviously, in hindsight, looks like a huge mistake. You know, this guy just made the point to me, like, if he was a good owner, he wouldn't have let Sean McVay go out the door, and he wouldn't have let Bruce Allen stay in the organization. He would have known, I got to get this guy out, and I got to keep this guy in. That is what is best for my franchise moving forward. He didn't do either of those things, and here we are. Now you got McVeigh, you got Kyle Shanahan, you got Matt LaFleur, all these guys who were Redskins coaches at one time, having all the success elsewhere, and, and the Redskins are dead. They're dead. Do we have to consider the fact that if those guys had been elevated to that position, the men above them on the totem pole might have interfered with their success? Yes. 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 So Absolutely. in a way, they should all kind of be grateful that didn't work out. And I only mention that to transition to the list of head coaching candidates, because you can bet on everything in America. There are odds on the Redskins' next head coach. And I took a look at this list, and I think it's really interesting. The coach with the best odds is the Kansas City Chiefs' Eric Bieniemy. He's been a head coach for 20 years. He's been under Andy Reid for many of those years. He'd bring the Andy Reid program, just like Matt Nagy just like Doug Peterson. And although he never played quarterback, he's done more work with the quarterbacks. As someone who likes Eric Bieniemy, I only mentioned what I did prior to this to say, that's a tough spot to go and win. It is. You don't know how much say you're really going to have. You always have to worry about Bruce Allen and what he's doing behind the scenes. You have to worry about your owner who conducts himself and gives himself the influence of a guy with that football IQ you mentioned without actually doing the work to have it, which is the height of arrogance and an untenable, unwinnable situation in the NFL. If I'm Eric Bieniemy and I'm Byron Leftwich, the two coaches at the top of this list, I'm concerned about that. And there are two other coaches who have the same odds as Leftwich. Mike Pettin and Todd Bowles. Both those guys have been coaches before, so at least they've got, you know, they're not, this will be a second chance kind of thing, right? But if you're a first-time head coach, whether you're Kevin Stefanski, who's us, who's on this list, um, or Bienemy or Leftwich or any of these guys, that's something I'd be really scared of. It's not just about being the head coach and getting that multi-million dollar contract. It's about having a chance to win. If you're one of these first-time head coaches, Charles, how worried are you about whether or not the game is just rigged if you go there. I'm extremely worried because Bruce Allen remains in the building. And I think fans have to understand, I see all these people saying, why doesn't he fire Bruce Allen? Why doesn't Dan Snyder fire Bruce Allen? Straight up, 100%, the reason why Bruce Allen is unfireable right now for the Washington Redskins is because they're trying to build a new stadium, and Bruce Allen is absolutely neck deep in the politics of not only the location of the stadium, but the design of the stadium, everything involved with locating the stadium, getting it done, like I said, as political as it is, as bureaucratic as it is, and this is something that really, they might not even have a a realistic idea where this could end up for another year. 
That is why Bruce Allen is unfireable because Dan Snyder is sitting there and looking at him and saying, I, look, I'm, I'm in the middle of this. We got to get this done. You know, Bruce is far too vital to this at this point. I can't just get rid of this guy. So the problem is Bruce Allen is in the building. He's making decisions on personnel. He's the last word on marketing. He's the last word on a multitude of things. Any young coach who comes in there has to know, you know, I'm being brought in here because I'm, I'm controllable. I'm someone that they can lean on. I'm someone that's not going to come in with an established record and say, hey, I need this. I need that. No, I'm not going to, you know, it, there's just less to bargain for when you're a young guy walking in trying to get your first chance. It's like Zach Taylor going into the Cincinnati Bengals. Zach Taylor wasn't going in there calling shots. This was his first opportunity, and he wasn't going to have that kind of gravity in that organization. I think you're looking at the same situation for the Redskins. I asked a couple people last night, you know, what 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 are we talking about with the candidates here? And it was funny because the the common thread I got was if it's an established coach, it's someone who's going to come in and say, hey, guess what? Bruce Allen's no longer involved in anything on side of football. Business, yeah. great. He can do it all the business. Yep. Yeah, he can he can do all the business stuff he wants, but he doesn't have to do with the football side of the operation from now on. If it's not one of those guys, what's going to end up being, it's going to be a really young guy who's coming in and needs an opportunity, or it's going to be, like you said, a second chance guy who's just looking for a second chance to, you know, and he'll, he'll say, Hey, you know what? I'll deal with it. I'll deal with whatever garbage comes with this. You don't have to get rid of Bruce. I just want another opportunity to coach and show I can do it. So if I'm Dan Snyder, I'm looking for four things. I'm looking for someone who can maximize Dwayne Haskins, mm-hmm. who believes in him. And if it's not Haskins, it's your next quarterback. Because let's face it, this team might win three games this year. Okay? Right. So you might be in the mix to get Herbert or Tua, whatever. You got to make an organizational decision. Not saying I would bail on Haskins. You know I like him. I'm just saying. Right. Whoever, whoever your quarterback is in 2020, he's going to be a young guy. You have to find somebody that can maximize that guy. Period, point blank, end of story. Okay. I'm also looking for someone who can create a culture. Because despite what Bruce Allen got up there on that stage and said, their culture blows. So, like, you can't know. You need to find someone that can set the culture and set the tone and someone who's done so much winning that his presence there will basically mean that Snyder just has to say, hey, it's on this guy. You know, hey, that's the guy. And that he can't move on from because moving on from him will bring a public relations storm so strong. Okay, so that's something I'd be looking forward to. I'd also be looking for someone who has done it before because it's hard to find a young coach who can check that box. Um, And the last thing, someone with gravitas, someone that can change the narrative around this football team. So let me let me throw this to you. And this guy's way down on the list. Probably won't happen. But whatever. But I'm just having fun. It's October. It's football. It's you and I talking. We do this. If you're Dan Snyder, and let's say you get the number one pick, how much money do you throw at Nick Saban to become your head coach and general manager? I mean, that would be a monster hire for Dan Snyder. The only question I would have, and it's slightly different because Nick did spend time in the NFL Yep. And he's well liked by Bill Belichick, Bill Parsons, a yeah. lot of people out there who have seriously uh, major, as you said, gravitas in the NFL would back a Nick Saban hiring. The only thing I wonder is if Dan Snyder sits here and says, you know what? 
I remember that time I went out and got Steve Spurrier when Steve Spurrier was the one mm-hmm. guy in college that you mm-hmm. had to come. You know, he was the superstar. He was the guy who was going to come in and mm-hmm. reshape the entire thing. Now, that said, Steve Spurrier's mentality as a coach and Nick Saban's mentality as a coach. Completely polar, different. Like, like literally, the, uh, Listen, it's, it's let, opposite let sides of the moon. Like light The and dark. old ball coach was enjoying the golf links in <laughs> right, the fall. Right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. The old, yeah. the old ball coach was in on yeah. the golf links, baby. Yeah. You can believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Nick Saban's more likely to completely wear guys out than to <laughs> just check out. You know, like it's... Um, it, what's funny to me, though, and I, and I, that's intriguing, and I, I like, and, and like you said, we're having fun here. We're just having know. fun, right? I, I like playing with the names and and looking at a guy like that. But what's funny to me is the guy you just described. Three of the four boxes were checked by Sean McVay when he <laughs> left. This is the yeah, truth. This it's is the so truth. Great. I remember going out and spending time with the Rams after they had hired Sean McVay. And I said, why? Yeah. Like, why would you hire this guy? He's 31. This is He's crazy. amazing. They said, number one, he came in. And the first priority, it's interesting the way you numbered it, too. The first priority for us when he came in, we wanted to know if he could work with Jared Goff. We yep. had to know that. And they said, Sean McVay not only showed up and showed us he could work with Jared Goff, he brought cut-ups to the hotel and asked Jared Goff to come and sit with them and go through cut-ups mm-hmm. during his visit, during his interview mm-hmm. visit when he went out there. Mm-hmm. Number two, you talked about the gravitas, or I'm mm-hmm. sorry, you talked about the culture. Yep. He completely reshaped, uh, uh, the culture under Jeff Fisher was horrible. Like oh it my was, God. It was Listen, flat. We, we watched Hard Knocks, bro. Oh, yeah, exactly. You walked, we watched Hard Knocks. People know. It was flat. It was, I mean, it was just oh. completely soulless. It was all this stuff. So he completely changed the culture of the organization. Now, he didn't have the experience, although I will right. say this. He did have experience. He, he did. Right. He yep. just didn't have, have the, the hey, right. the hey, experience. He's done it before, guy. Right. Right. Yep. right. And I'll ask you, do you think Sean McVay's got gravitas? Has he <laughs> had gravitas? I've been covering this league seven years now. There's only a handful of times I've come away from an interview and been like, that guy is awesome. Right. Like, like, like listen, I, look, I'm a f-ing reporter here, okay? Like, I'm a cynical enough guy. I know when people are lying to me. I right, know most right. of the things I hear are not true. I talked to Sean McVay at the one-on-one awards here. That's the end of season, like, awards banquet in Kansas City. And I'm mm-hmm. talking to him about... Marcus Peters, you know, but I can't really talk. To, I can't name Marcus Peters because it's not official. But anyway, I'm talking to him and like we had a great conversation and he remembers my name. And I'm just like, this guy has a way of like making you feel good when you talk to him and he knows what he's talking about. And you just there's some people in this world that you talk to him and you buy in. You get it. Yeah. Or you, you at least admit that they've got it, whatever it is. Sean McVay has it. And that's the kind of culture changer that a place like Washington could really use. Now, no one's saying that <laughs> from a personality standpoint, like, that's easy to find. But if you're Dan Snyder, you want to get people to shut the f*** up about your team, you hire somebody that no one can really doubt. No one would say a damn word about Nick Saban until year three. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's a it's a fun name to consider. I, I just, it's so funny. But you never answered my question, though, Chuck. How much would you throw at him, bro? Oh, yeah. I didn't actually give you a number. Um, Knowing that you have a yacht with an IMAX theater. (laughs) Right. And and really, like, let's be honest. Like, what can you really want in life anymore once you have a yacht with an IMAX theater built into it? Like, you probably have enough money. (laughs) Like, like, 
you know, I, I, I mean, maybe you go to Nick and 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 listen. I'm going to tell you straight up. Nick likes money. Nick, Nick likes, likes money. money. He likes his business ties. He likes yeah. his money. He really likes to get paid. Go to Nick and say, hey, you know what? We're going to give you a Bill Belichick deal. We're going to pay you $15 million a year. And I actually think Bill Belichick makes a lot more than $15 mm-hmm. million a year. I will go mm-hmm. ahead and say that. No one knows. It's a big mystery what Bill makes. I believe Bill makes quite a bump more than $15 million. But what I would do is I would go to him and I'd say, hey, Nick, we're going to give you a Bill Belichick deal. Five years, $75 million. See what he says. It could even be more. Five years, $100 million, whatever. Like You have to like change this narrative. If you're Dan Snyder and you you mentioned like if you're Dan Snyder's age and you've got all this money, what else could you want? I would argue somebody like that would like would like want respect in this game. In 20 years, he's done nothing but sully his own reputation by ruining one of the worst franchises in football. Talk about a complete embarrassment for your legacy. You know what he probably wants? Like a legacy that people don't mock and laugh at in 50 years. So if you're him, listen, Saban has all, or whoever, they'd have all the leverage, but you have to make a monster hire right now if you are Dan Snyder. You have to. Financially, what is it? Yeah, I mean, like it's financially, you sit there and you're like, what is it worth to change how an entire massive, you know, millions of people look at me? What, let's say, what would it be worth to be looked at like Jack Kent Cook? Oh, are you kidding? That's all he wanted. Right? Like, isn't that all he wanted? Imagine being 34 and like getting your like and getting like your dream position, something that you never really knew if you'd ever get to, but like you get there at 34. And now that I'm 35, I can only imagine how unbelievably unprepared Dan Snyder was to be the owner of the Washington Redskins at 34. Okay? Now that I'm, th- I can just like, holy. Shit. But anyway, imagine getting that dream position. And then f***ing it up so royally that in 20 years, every NFL columnist in America is mocking you, including three at the same site within three days. Every opposing GM, I mean, they they make fun of you behind your back. Just imagine that, being in this elite class and achieving your dream and watching it turn into a literal nightmare. And your cohorts, the other owners, Look at you as the guy who ruined one of the most important organizations in pro football. Imagine that. I would say $25 million, whatever. I think you got to pay it. I think you got to make it happen. I also want to say, when I originally brought up the Nick Saban recommendation, <laughs> one of our video podcast producers, Sully, your face, Sully, we can, wa- we can watch him as we do this was filled with so much glee. It was almost like it was Christmas morning. Because he's a Tennessee fan. He's a huge <laughs> Tennessee fan. And he's struggling with the Vols and Jeremy Poore right now. The, the number one thing he would love is to see Nick Saban get out of that damn conference. So I just yeah, want you to well, know, Sully, I see you, my man. The problem is, Sully, they're not going to buy every other SEC head coach. Because <laughs> <laughs> Nick Saban isn't your only problem, bro. I just want to say. <laughs> There's about a half dozen head coaches there that are your problem. The last thing I wanted to get to on this subject before we transition to the games we'll be keeping an eye on. Every once in a while in this business, there's a piece of media that is so amusing, so perfect, that all of us just cackle with laughter. And that actually happened during this Jay Gruden firing Washington Redskins disaster uh, situation over the last few days. 
the Bob's Discount Furniture Hot Seat Challenge. <laughs> Somebody took the time to splice up every single time Jay Gruden got on his coach's show. And there, basically, every time Jay Gruden had a coach's show, there was a segment in there. And the segment was the Bob's Discount Furniture Hot Seat Challenge. And this happened for weeks on weeks on end. And someone took the time to splice together each one of these and really show over time how uncomfortable it got as it got more and more real. And Charles, I know you saw this. Wasn't it just perfect? It, oh, it couldn't have been funnier. It, it's and it gave me an appreciation, honestly. And I, and we've seen this before in terms of Jay Gruden's humor, his ability oh, to kind of yeah, he's great. Yeah. Yeah. His ability to just kind of deal with it, you know, when things aren't great. But man, his humor through this thing where and then it was great because at one point they removed hot seat and then they kind of <laughs> they the Bob's they, challenge yeah, yeah the Bob's challenge they removed the hot the seat challenge. but the the greatest thing was when they removed the phrase hot seat it was Jay who wasn't going to let it go <laughs> Yeah, Jay, Jay was just like, it's the hot seat, like, right? Yeah, it's like, what, what happened to the hot seat? Yeah, like, Jay, Jay was the one who was like, no, wait a he minute. He never let it go. He never, never let, it go. let it go. Every time Ever. that he, they Every said, this is the time. Bob's challenge, he, he would always go like, hot seat, right? The hot seat challenge, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was awesome. <laughs> Let's just hope that at some point there's not some gimmick like that on this podcast and we don't have to be on record recording the Bob's Discount Furniture Hot Seat Challenge for the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast because people will absolutely rejoice and throw that in our face one day. My appreciation for Jay Gruden's element of humor has definitely uh, that was has, great. has grown. And I would have loved to have been in the Gruden household when they were teenagers. Like, like oh, they must John have been Gruden amazing. That'd be the worst to deal with when they were oh. teenagers. Yeah, Charles, that's funny. And, you know, speaking of the Hot Seat Challenge, there are some games this week uh, involving some coaches that that might be on the hot seat challenge of their own in week six, including one that probably isn't anymore in the Carolina Panthers, Ron Rivera. And they head to London to face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I got to tell you, I couldn't be more impressed with the Panthers rebounding from an 0-2 start to win their next three games. And now they're headed to London to face the Bucs in a really winnable game. I think it'd be interesting because the Bucs certainly seem – more interesting under Bruce Arians. They're definitely better coached. Any opinion on where this game's going to head, Charles? You know, I think I think what's interesting about it now is you sort of see Carolina functioning the way that I think, particularly on offense, the way that I think they would like to function, which is, you know, Christian McCaffrey being yeah. the guy they drafted him to be. And we kind of, I compared him to LaDainian Tomlinson, um, coming out of last Sunday when he just wrecked it. And I think he's on pace for insanely like 2,700 all scrimmage yards. Like it's, that's not going to happen, but good Lord. Like it it really is Mm -hmm. Tomlinson esque or Marshall Falk esque to kind of see what he's doing right now. And he's been such a steadying force. The defense has gotten better. And you and I kind of talked earlier in the season about, it being the gut check time, like what's going to happen with Kyle Allen starting? This mm-hmm. is where we're going to find out. Either they're going to bomb or they're going to get it together. And they and you know what? What happened? They got it together. They got it together. Kyle Allen's been steady. He's mm-hmm. he's done he's done what he needs to do as a backup quarterback who comes in knowing the offense and their defense in the running game has largely carried them. I'm I'm very very impressed by by the Panthers. I'm not excited 
to start seeing the takes about people wondering whether like Cam can do what Kyle Allen's doing when he's healthy. When Cam is healthy again, like he can he can do this stuff that Kyle Allen is doing. Unless the Panthers don't have a lot of faith in Cam's ability to stay healthy, Cam can do the stuff Kyle Allen is doing for the most part. And I actually think it'll be good for him to like I think it's probably been good for him to like watch this. Like and just see like another quarterback have some success there and win and how he's doing it. I'm sure Cam can copy it. I feel pretty good about the situation of this team. Obviously, they got to take care of business in London, however. Yeah, I, I hear you, man. I'm I'm uh it's nice to see a game go to London where it, it should be a pretty interesting matchup, fun to watch. I actually I want to ask you about uh the Texans going to Kansas City. I talked about this a little bit on Sunday, how I feel like Clearly, Pat Mahomes and and Deshaun Watson, I think, are both top five quarterbacks right now mm-hmm. in the league. Um, I the think, they, yeah, they are the future, and I think these are two guys. Uh, to me, for my money, I think they're arguably the two most exciting quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Like, yeah. and, and you know, some people can talk about Russell Wilson, some of these other guys, but I really think, yeah. just in terms of putting on a show, these are the two guys who they can do it. They are just amazing to watch, and and. To me, what's interesting here is sort of, you've seen the Texans finally start to, you know, it's it's the last three games, despite the fact, obviously, they lost last week and then they come in this week and they win um, in huge fashion. I think Will Fuller getting on track for Deshaun Watson. Whenever Will Fuller has played well for the Texans, Deshaun Watson goes ballistic. And so I think them getting Will Fuller into a groove is massive. And I think this is a game where... Even if the Texans don't win this game, I think it's a game where Bill O'Brien and Watson have an opportunity to go, hey, when they're healthy, the Chiefs are the class of the AFC. We'll see how yeah, healthy the Chiefs are. Is. Right, but to go in to Arrowhead and be able to play a tough game with the Chiefs, I think is a big step forward potentially for the Texans. And they're not coming in just to play a tough game. They're coming in right. to win. Right, right. And it doesn't matter how banged up the Chiefs are. The Texans will be able to say, hey, look, you know, with a win, we'll be four and two. You know, we're the cream of the AFC South. Go to hell. So please know you're going to get Bill O'Brien's best game plan. Like Whatever mm-hmm. that looks like, you're going to get. And right. for Deshaun Watson, this is an opportunity to say, hey, listen, you know, I'm still a pretty damn good quarterback myself. I know he's the MVP, but I'm going to go into his house and win. You will get a good game from both those guys. Carlos Hyde could absolutely go off against the Chiefs' run defense. This is a gut-check game for the Chiefs. I wrote a column on Monday about, you know, their loss to the Colts on Sunday being a medicine game, one of those games where it's bitter going down, but if you take it and you you do what you're supposed to and you're a good patient, you'll be better for it down the road. And the three spoonfuls of medicine are the following. They need Tyreek Hill back and healthy because the defensive looks they've been getting are ridiculous. This man coverage with one single high safety, never in a million years would you get that so often with Tyreek Hill on the field. So they don't just need him out there. They need him healthy again uh, So because they need him in January. The pass protection has got to get a lot better. I don't care if they got to play two tight ends the whole game. The amount of hits Patrick Mahomes has taken on one ankle could end your season if this keeps up, straight up. Uh, and the last thing, the run defense, obviously, the thing we all see. This team's run defense has been too bad for too long. It's time for these guys. I don't know what they have to do. I don't care what they have to do. If you let Carlos Hyde come in here, someone that you traded away in August, run it up on you, 
you know, this is the gut check thing. You're going to get a lot of scrutiny. You're going to get a lot of criticism. So for a 4-1 team, this is a pretty interesting point for the Chiefs. This mm-hmm. game could also have playoff implications because I think the Texans are going to make the playoffs. I think this might be a team the Chiefs face in a divisional round one way or another. So this is an interesting game for a 4-1 team. It's a gut check type game. Um, this is definitely going to be one of the most interesting games of the week. Another gut check game. We, we mentioned this a little bit early, but Cleveland. All right, you're two and three. Seattle's coming to town. Russell Wilson's coming off a hell of a performance um, against the Rams. We're, we're gonna again. We're gonna see really where this season's gonna go for the Browns. So I think with a loss, the amount of negativity in a place where they haven't had a whole whole lot of success could get pretty palpable, right, Charles? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think for me, um, Seattle has an opportunity here. You go on the road, I think you have an opportunity to say, not only is Russell Wilson the presumptive MVP this early, you know, you can argue Christian McCaffrey, all that, but not only do we feel like our quarterback is the presumptive MVP, we might be the best team in football. Like we might, mm-hmm. we may not be undefeated, you know, obviously mm-hmm. San Francisco and, and the New England Patriots are, are both undefeated, but we are the team that is now looking the most complete on offense, on defense. We can run it, we can throw it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got young pieces that now starting are starting to look like they're taking that step forward. Ru- you know, again, Russell Wilson, we believe he's the best quarterback in the league. I think you go into Cleveland, especially when Cleveland, fr- frankly, and this, this will speak to Cleveland and you can address this. Like Cleveland has to have the counterpunch, you know, coming they out. better of, have it. Right, right. So if you go in and you put a number on Cleveland in Cleveland, knowing when Cleveland should be coming with that counterpunch, Yo, like it says a lot about both. You know, Cleveland comes out of that really spinning and and Seattle comes out of it saying, yo, bring on whoever, whoever, whoever you want in the NFC, bring them on. Like, we're good. We're ready to roll. We, we think we are the best team there is. Great description. And in my opinion, the Browns can only hope to have the type of counterpunch that the Minnesota Vikings had last week. There was no shortage of scrutiny that Kirk Cousins had to endure last week after an atrocious passive performance from both uh, Adam Thielen Stephon Diggs kind of sort of wanting to be traded. Whatever happened, he responded, had a good game throwing the football. And it's important for him not to forget that lesson because this week he faces a Philadelphia team that just a few weeks ago held the Lions who tried to run the ball to 36 yards. Right. So I say that to say, knowing Jim Schwartz, there's a chance he tries to take away a run, make Kirk Cousins win again. He's got to be able to throw the ball against the Eagles team that, Hasn't been great at corner this year. You should be able to throw against him. If he can't throw the ball with his receivers against this defense, we're going to be right back to square one with wondering where they're at in the passing game. Yeah, I think I think this is, um, for me, both, figuring out where these teams fit in the NFC elites, I don't know. Like, I just don't know. I look at Minnesota, and, and I'm like, you've been way too up and down. You're running it. Then, oh, then all of a sudden, you know, the, the – hits the fan. Now you're going to pass it to open a game. You're going to open it up. Sometimes the defense looks worn out. Sometimes it looks superb. You know, Dalvin Cook's fantastic, but if you take Dalvin Cook away, does that automatically change the dynamic of of what Minnesota is going forward? How good is Kirk Cousins? It's just like this litany of questions with the Vikings. But the thing is, I look at Philly, I kind of have the same questions. I'm like, are you going to yeah. be able to ever run the ball? Are you going to be healthy? Um, are you going to have the corners in the secondary, you know, when, when you come up against a team, an NFC elite team, that's going to be able to throw. And, and like, I mean, good God, what if you face the Rams, the Rams are going to throw it 70 times against you. And you know, how are you going to deal with that? Um, 
you know, and then I, I just, it's, their roster was so good, Philly, coming into the season, but they've been hit so hard by injuries that now this comes down to not only coaching, but then the ability to coach up the depth. Can you coach up the guys that got to step up now? All I know, look, Philly plays, Philly plays at Dallas October 20th, okay? Between now and that game, Dallas has the Jets, and they're going to try like hell to put a number on the Jets, and then they're yep. going to point at that Philly game, and they're going to say, this is it. This is where we show everyone. You got it. We are the class of the yep. NFC East. So, look, Philly can't afford to lay one in in this game. They can't lay an egg in this game because the next game after this is Dallas, and Dallas is going to bring everything in that October 20th game in Dallas. Speaking of the Cowboys, they got whooped by the Packers. I mean, they yeah. just got absolutely obliterated. The Packers yeah. probably, to me, in in jumping out to the lead uh, that they did against, I think it was 31-3 to on the road in Dallas, Jumping out to that lead, they looked as good as I think the Packers have looked, particularly not only offensively deep. I mean, they just dominated every single part of that game. The Packers dominated. Now, all of a sudden, you have the Packers. They're going to host the Lions. Lions are 2-1-1. One, and one. Lions, frankly, have been better than yeah. I, I – and, and remember, their one loss. Now, granted, the tie is against Arizona. Not great. It was bad. That was to bad, open right. right. To open the season. But they've been better since that game. They have improved. And they gave the Chiefs a run for their money in that the the loss that they have. I feel like in terms of this game, the meaning that it has, like there's no doubt in my mind for Detroit, it, they've always had a hard time winning in Green Bay. <laughs> if if Detroit wins this game, if Detroit, like to me, then it's it's done. We're done talking about whether or not they're real. If they yeah. go into Green Bay when Green Bay is clearly trending right now in the right direction at four and one and everything they're doing, putting everything together. If Detroit comes into this game and they play well and are able to win this game, all the pressure, I think, starts to come off of that organization in terms of can Matt Patricia Definitely. put it together, you know? Right. Now, I want to say this. As someone who grew up in Detroit, I know better than to ever bet money on the Lions. You never bet against them. You never bet on them. Because no matter what's going to happen, you're cursed. You can't do it. However, I'm not betting money, but this is just a theory here. The Packers are six-point favorites in Green Bay. I would lean on my history as a Lion, as a Lion fan. I'll just say it, whatever. Like, I, I grew up in Detroit. What do you want <laughs> this, from me? Whatever. This is, this is where you explain how the Packers are going to blow the living shit out of the Lions. Actually, actually, no. Actually, really? no. Really? I'm, I'm not. And here's okay. why. They're coming off a bye. And it's so funny you mentioned the Lions have trouble in Green Bay. I feel like in my life, I have watched the Lions lose on a Ryan Longwell field goal in Green Bay so many times in my life. If the point if the if the point spread is six and I have a feeling they'll lose on like a Mason Crosby field goal, they're coming off a bye. I'm not picking them to win. I think there's a pretty decent chance that the Packers don't win by by six. I, I don't think the Packers are gonna cover. Like I think they'll win, but I don't think they'll cover. I think the Lions will lose heartbreakingly on a field goal. So just a little bit of gambling for me. I know better than to ever do it because, you know, as a Detroit native, you never do it. But if you have no attachment to that team, there might be some money to be made there. This ends casino hour with (laughs) (laughs) Therese Paler. Just just so you know, that's a little uh, little preview of our future gambling content on the podcast, which honestly we might have. We might have. So here we go. Here's the thing. (laughs) Charles and I believe in 
backing up what we say we're going to do. And I know we've teased it a little bit, but we've kind of been waiting for opportunities where we felt a certain way about something to maybe just slide something in there. So I'm sure this won't, I'm sure this would be bad advice. I wouldn't advise you to spend a whole lot of money. But that's just something as somebody who's watching the NFL for a while that I'm keeping my eye on. Another game I'm keeping my eye on, and I I really think the line on this game is interesting, is the Rams and 49ers. Now, the the Rams are coming off a couple losses, and the 49ers, of course, are undefeated. Yet the Rams are still three-point favorites (laughs) Uh, because it's a home game. Uh, Where do you come out on this game? Because I think think the 49ers are probably primed to get beat here. They're coming off a game where everyone's going to tell them how great they are. The Rams, I'm sure, are pissed after this loss. We know that they're just as good, if not better. Like, I feel pretty good about the Rams uh, winning this game and probably covering. I will tell you this. I feel like if if the intent of the Rams does not change, if they keep throwing it the way that they're throwing it, and it's and honestly, mm-hmm. I'm a little, I'm a little pissed about it now. Like it's we've gone oh, a couple really? games. Yeah, because you know, like I I keep. I understand saying, hey, look, we don't want to lay all this on, you know, all this wear and tear on Gurley. And, and, you know, they've been very vigilant about that or or Gurley is not quite the player he used to be. It's one or the other. Either they're being extremely vigilant about protecting him or he's not the same elite level Todd Gurley that we got used to. But one way or another, they've thrown it a lot two games in a row here. And after seeing the 49ers, what they were able to do against a not good Cleveland Browns offensive line. I tell you what, the 49ers can hit Jared Goff. I feel like they're going to be able to hit him. And if mm. you're going to drop him back 50 times, mm-hmm. Nick Bosa is going to end up with five sacks. Like it's going to be ridiculous. Like he's going to get hit. He's going to get hit. And mm-hmm. you know, I just I, I want to see the Rams adjust in a way because I feel like we've now seen two straight games where they kind of did the same thing. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and 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 I didn't huh. like it in either of those games, and so. You know, I just w- I want to see the Rams um, get it together, and I think sh- at least show me show me a game that you can run it. Show me I need a hundred and fifty yard game from your backfield. You have to That's show fair. me that you can do it. That's and fair. to me, do it against a four and O team at home. You know what? They're coming in. Do it against a four and O team at home. Show me you can still run the football. I think you're right. Like, can we see the Rams run the ball? I actually think they will. I just I'm not ready to just think that's a team that loses three in a row. But I tell you what, if they do, we're going to start talking about how that Super Bowl hangover is well in effect. Okay, as always, Charles and I will be back on Sunday night late with our Sunday Night Freestyle podcast. We uh, appreciate you guys listening. We want to continue to encourage you to rate and review us on iTunes. Not hard. Go to iTunes, type in the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast. Click rate and review. Give us five stars and say these guys are great. There you go. Ten seconds. Not hard. In the meantime, may also make sure you follow me on Twitter at Therese Paler. Follow Charles on Twitter at Charles Robinson. Give the Yahoo Sports NFL Twitter handle a follow as well to stay up to date with all of our work. And with that, say goodbye, Charles. Thank you. Have a good week. We'll see you Sunday night. And I want everybody to know who, who tweets at us. Therese and I see every tweet. You know, we end oh, up we talking. Do. We do. We see every tweet that you tweeted us, all the listeners. We know who you are. And uh, it's it's actually pretty cool. Like, it, it does. It feels like we've got a, a good, strong kind of file, you know, like a, a collection of family here. And uh, we do appreciate the rates, the ratings and the reviews. If you can tell other people, take a listen, 
that obviously helps. But uh, we know every one of you. It's funny. We make jokes about, you know, some of the names that we see consistently on Twitter kind of, uh, you know, stoking us up, which is uh, always fun. So, <laughs> But, yeah, we know well, we know all of you and we appreciate it. Let the record reflect that when you're a part of the family, we respond. And sometimes we respond when you're not a part of the family, too. But I think that's something we're working on. Right, Charles? Uh <laughs> I think, I think we've had some discussions about that part of it and how much we want to extend that courtesy to people who are part of the family. But when you're part of the family, we go out of our way to take care of you. So um, if you want to make sure, like this is a pro tip to somebody, if you're still listening, nah, you love us. If you really want to make sure your question get answered, gets answered, like hashtag Yahoo Sports NFL podcast in your tweets to us, 100% chance we will respond to it. Straight 100%, up. So, 100%. 100%. And Charles and I are very big on doing what we say we're going to do. So if you made it to the end of this thing, that's a pro tip for you. Okay. With that, we appreciate another great episode with you guys. We'll see you on Sunday. Peace. Peace.